0: You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here today on the Locked On Nationals podcast. It is Friday, May 14th, 2021, and today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Make sure you guys go download the Locker Room app today. Follow me on there. Josh Neighbors is the name. I think it's J Neighbors 97 is my username and interact and begin to interact with all kinds of sports fans who share your interest, writers, podcasters, and more. Check it out the Locker Room app wherever you guys get your apps. They have iOS and Android. Now on the show today, I joined Millard Thomas from the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast to preview the Nationals and Diamondback series. Uh, Miller had a lot of questions about the Nets, so mostly it's kind of us talking about the Nets and all different angles about it, really getting to know this team because we've seen the Diamondbacks some this year, um, and I don't know if Diamondbacks fans really watched that first series. So, yeah, it's a good opportunity here for kind of you know people to really catch up on the Nats. And also kind of me mentally, it was a good chance to take stock of the Nationals as well, you know, kind of mentally being asked those questions allow me to take stock as a bird is flying out the window you guys can hear it right now i apologize for that but yeah really good conversation Miller had some good questions and some thought-provoking ones as well hope you guys enjoy
1: all right first time on the pod we got josh neighbors of locked on nationals and he also does what's your other lockdown show i know you do locked a on
0: big show. 12 locked on big 12
1: yeah, so this is like, you know, we got a few hosts at the uh, podcast network specifically in the MLB channel who do uh, double duty. Josh is one of those people, hardworking man, covering all things Big 12, college, doing a little baseball here, uh, covering the Nats. But Josh, how are you doing, man? How, you know, let, let's just see how you're doing right now.
0: I'm well. Uh, the Nationals are not well. I am well, though. That's It's, it's uh, which is totally fine. The Big 12 struggling for content, man. It's like they're having us go full steam ahead right now. What do you want me to talk about? A bunch of twenty-four-seven sports articles saying who's going to be here and talking about odds and whatnot. So the Big Twelve stuff is dragging. The baseball quality is dragging. <laughs> the Nationals too. So a lot of so there's there's slowness with the Big Twelve podcast and there's slowness with the Nationals progress and being good team.
1: Are you going to be talking about stuff like I know the Pac-12 like announced their new commissioners today? Would you yep. talk about that on your podcast?
0: Well, yeah, it, it is relevant to the the Big 12, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, because their the commissioner came out today and said he wanted you know playoff expansion, which uh, I think everybody is for. Yeah, especially the Big 12 commissioner. You know, because Oklahoma's been a few times and they've lost every time they've not in every year. So yeah, that's kind of stuff is something that, you know we touch on and mention how it affects the broader scope. And yeah, especially the time of year we're hitting on anything that's newsworthy right now i locked on Big 12 podcast because all the kids save baseball or softball or golf are home right now. Mm. So our big money-making sports are not currently
1: active. Mm. Well, at least we got the baseball season I don't know as a Nats fan how you're feeling, so I want to get your take on that because I've had Arm Lane on this pod. I've had Ryan, uh, Ryan Finkelstein on this pod, or Finkelstein, let me get his last name correct, Finkelstein on this pod. The man. And oh, Yeah, man. and we've talked about the NL East a bunch on here, and so I want to get your perspective on the NL East because when I was talking to them, it was at a time where no one in the NL East was, you know, above 500, maybe 500 at best. Now you got the Mets on a little hot streak. The Phillies are a couple of games above 500, but the Nats are still there at the bottom. So what's your take on the NLEs and the Nationals right now?
0: So I have a vote to pick with ARAM. Arum was like, oh, I knew the Nats be at the bottom. Mm-hmm. They swept the Marlins like a week ago. And the, the National schedule has been really brutal. Uh, I'm not here to make excuses, but the fact that they got caught with COVID uh, at the beginning of the season was really difficult. That was – it decimated the roster to start off. They played the Braves. They played the Dodgers. And um, it was difficult for them to deal with that. So – you know, but, but everybody in this division, whether it be injury or just not playing well, everybody in this, in, this, in this division has gotten off to a weird start. The problem for the Nats was that this was a time to make their move, and unfortunately for them, they got caught with bad circumstances. They were not able to try and make that move because the Braves, in my opinion, until somebody beats them, um, they are the favorite. They still feel like they might be inevitable once they get, get it figured out. They're lurking there, what, two or three games back. And the Phillies, look, the Mets have played the Phillies uh, nine times. They won six of them. They might have played them a tenth time. It, it was after a three-game sweep at that point in time, but in the fourth game. And also, one of the games the Phillies won was because Jacob deGrom got pulled in the seventh inning of the first game of the year because the they hadn't faced live pitching in a week. So mm-hmm. uh, the Phillies are going to be fighting for a wild-card spot. They're not good enough, in my opinion, to, to win this division. The Braves, I think they showed it this past weekend, if they're focused and they're consistent, they are, they are a really damn good team. Um, I think the way the Mets are playing through injury is really impressive. Uh, their winning streak right now. I mean, they are having, they're, they're losing players at the same rate they're winning, honestly. Mm. Right. I mean, they've won seven straight games and right now Davis and uh, Nimmo and yeah. Almora went out last night and McNeil went out with an injury and uh, missing guys in the pitching front as well too. So you know, they're dealing with that, but they're winning. And that, that's what good baseball teams do. So looks like those teams are making the move now and the Nats are falling behind, which is the challenge uh, for a team like that. But this division, in my opinion, coming into the year was the best division in baseball. And I think it ends up being still the best mm. division in baseball just because the quality of the teams. I mean, look, let's be honest. Four of the teams in the division want to make the playoffs. The fifth team, being the Marlins, did make the playoffs last year. The Braves want to win the championship. The Mets want to win the championship. The Phillies want to be in the playoffs, and the Nats won a championship two years ago and reconstruct the teams they want to win. So I think just by nature of that, having those that many teams that want to be competitive, uh, it's going to be a dogfight.
1: Wow. Stronger than the NL West? Or you got maybe two of the Yeah, top because three well, world the, 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 the
0: Rockies suck, though. The Rockies, the Rockies are
1: bad. Suck. But the Giants are way better than we thought. Right.
0: right. The, the, the Giants are better than we thought. The D-backs. And, you know, uh, yeah. They're fun. The D-backs are fun. They're right? fun. But, but when, it, you know, when it comes down to it is that, you know, and I don't mean to demean the D backs here, but mm. are the D backs and the Nats have kind of similar records, right? Mm-hmm. With the way they, where they're at. One team is a bit more serious about trying to win at this particular moment than the other one is. And it's not to demean them. I mean, the D backs aren't, this is not a phase right now where they should try to be winning. It's a tough spot in that division, too. But the Nationals have Soto and Turner. They've got the pitching, obviously, Strasburg, Corbin, and Scherzer on the payroll. They made some moves in the offseason. They want to be serious about winning. So that's kind of the nature of it. If you have that many teams that are that serious about winning, that's why I think it, it kind of ends up being one of the best divisions.
1: Okay. I think the D-backs do want to win. They just don't want to spend any money to do it. They, they're just trying to do it. Well, but, but, that,
0: but that's not wanting to win. Like, because, you know, to be fair to your team, you know, I, I mean, that division, the Padres, I, I give the Padres all credit. They're mm-hmm. going for it right now, right? The Padres are spending money. They're going for it. The Dodgers, Obviously still going for it. The only team in the league, it's like way in the luxury tax. The giants aren't really going for it, but they're somehow very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if that keeps up to be serious about going for it in this league. You have to spend money. You really have to, unless you're like, unless you're a team that's run like the Rays. Yeah, you have to spend money to be serious.
1: I think that's where the D backs are trying to get to be a team like Oakland or the Rays, because I don't think the D backs are ever going to spend money when they do. I mean, they spend money on Zach Ranky, two hundred million dollars. I, I don't. I mean, he was good, but they didn't keep him around for too long. Spent money last season on Madison Bumgarner. It has only worked out in the last five starts, but the previous thirteen starts before that, he was literally the worst pitcher in all of baseball. So I, I don't think their recent track record of spending money has worked out in their favor. But you never know. I I want them to spend money honestly, but just the way they are with their financials, it doesn't seem like they're going to anytime in the near future. Honestly, and like you're saying with the Padres and Dodgers, that both their teams are pretty young pretty in their prime they got pieces to be around for the next five to ten years so they're gonna be powerhouses for a while so the D-backs got to find a way to get in there and the Giants they're they're, there like I don't like their team on paper but somehow they just keep putting together wins and after 2020 when they were competitive I didn't write them off entering the season so I I have high respect for the Giants honestly but I want to ask you something about the Nationals particularly their offense because looking at espn.com and just team stats the nationals the nationals are second in the national league in average second fewest strikeouts as well but they're 10th in ops and they're their offense is bad yeah but it's like they can hit and they don't strike out but yet they put no runs on the board like are they only hitting singles like what's going they on they can't hit
0: run in scoring position that, that's the problem so it's like different so starling Castro has been on a tear
1: mm-hmm. trey
0: turner's had a good year once so that has been good Um, Kyle Schorber has had his moments. Jan Gomes has been hot. Josh Harrison was hot. Gadiel Hernandez was crazy hot at one point. But here's the thing is, if those guys are hitting number one, number six, number two, number seven, they're not around each other, right? It's about about the middle guys driving people in, and Mm. that's the Nationals. I know across baseball, situational hitting has been bad. Yeah. But they are a team that does not, they they do not keep the line moving in a significant way. Um, And to buoy that, they try to bring in Schwarber and Bell to, in the sense of saying, hey, look, if we're not going to keep the line moving, let's hit for some power, You know, maybe, maybe some solo power. They haven't really gotten that. Those guys had great springs and then both got COVID, so they've been derailed since then. The Nationals' Nashville, offense, plain and simple, is the fact that those guys, they've been trying to get them going every single day. They're not going, and uh, they don't hit well at they're in scoring position. It's kind of just the bottom line. Quick pause in the action. Today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag. Big weekend. In the sports gambling world because we've got the NBA, the NHL, their playoffs are starting, MLB, horse racing. We've got UFC a pay-per-view this weekend. I think there's some boxing as well. So so much going on in the world of sports, and the only place that has you covered is betonline.ag. You go there today, make an account. It's free to sign up on your uh, you can use your laptop or your mobile device, and then you can use that promo code locked on. That's l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n locked on. And you will get a fifty uh, percent deposit bonus. So if you deposit hundred bucks, they give you an extra fifty to play with. If you deposit two hundred, an extra fifty to you know extra hundred, excuse me, to play with there. So uh, once again, go to betonline.ag, sign up, use that promo code locked on l o c k e d o n, bet online your online sportsbook experts.
1: Well. You guys still have some pretty good players in your lineup when you look at Trey Turner, Juan Soto. You guys got some real studs in there. Ryan Zimmerman's still having a pretty good year. Yeah. <laughs> it's surprisingly yeah. at age 36, he's been able to put it together. But what? how do you feel about your rotation, though? Because you guys are middle of the pack when it comes to ERA. Steven Strasburg, I mean, I haven't seen him too much. Max Scherzer looks somehow as good as he's ever been. How do you feel about your rotation and your bullpen and, uh, as well, just your overall pitching staff?
0: So the, the rotation is in a spot where they've got guys going they didn't think they'd be going. Uh, Eric Fetty is not a guy I thought would be going every fifth day, and he's going every fifth day. Um, Scherzer obviously is out there right now. John Lester, there's part of it. I didn't love the John Lester thing, but he's he's been solid.
1: Mm.
0: You know, the the conditions for the Nationals to be good pitching wise were really that they needed everybody to be healthy. They needed to have a starting five uh, in the rotation of Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Lester, and then uh, they needed to have in the back end Joe Ross, who's, who's not been bad so far this year. He's been He's in fifth starter, but the problem is Joe Ross for a little while was one of their three best starters, you know, two or three best starters. And um, Strasburg is battling injuries still. That's been a challenge for him. They're trying to make sure when they bring him back, he's right because he has not been right so far this year. Corbin has been up and down. He was bad last year, so he's trying to find it. He had a great, great game today uh, against the Phillies. So the starting pitching is hit or miss, but it's it's kept them competitive, say, a few games. I'll say that. The bullpen has been injured and it's Mm. been mismanaged in my opinion from Mm. from Martinez. It's been mismanaged. Yep. Um, Shots. Well, you know, (laughs) Brad hand has not been good against the Yankees. Blew a save on Saturday through, I think, I forget how many pitches he threw. They brought him back on Sunday, lost the game outright. And then last night against the Phillies, uh, Wednesday night game, whenever, whenever you all hear this, blew a lead against the Phillies too. Uh, So he's not pitching well right now. And, Look, it, this team is, you know, they, they're they on a stretch right now where they got swept by the Braves, lost two or three in New York, lost two or three to the Phillies. That could have been two or three wins against the the, the Yankees mm-hmm. with a Brad Hand good performance. And it could have been two or three against the Phillies with a Brad Hand good performance as well. So it seems like something goes wrong whenever, like you know, they're in a position to win. And either, you know, the, the pitching keeps in it, but the offense doesn't show up, or they've had a few games where Brad Hand, you know, Has had a tough time or Kyle Finnegan. And they, you know, Kyle Finnegan threw 22 pitches uh, on the Tuesday night game. They brought him back out the next night for some reason to to pitch again. So it's stuff like that where I don't know if Dave Martinez feels really comfortable managing the bullpen right now. And I think that's something that is clearly the wheels are turning. He's trying to figure out the best way to manage the pen moving forward.
1: So you, do you not trust Brad Hand then? Because his ERA is solid right now, two nine two. But looking at his yeah. walks per nine, looks like he gives up five point one walks per nine hits per nine, seven point three. So it looks like he's probably putting runners on the base, even though he's not giving up those yes. runs.
0: So the location was bad on Saturday. It was bad on Sunday, and it was bad last. I mean, he O'Double. I said this yesterday. O'Double Herrera hit like a four thousand foot home run because he just hung a fat slider to him, and uh, that's not something you can do in a one run game. You know, and they're paying them good money. You know, I thought at the end of the year, they should have used him as, as a guy where it's like, look, we're paying you closer money, but we don't have to use you as a closer just because that's your title whatever. You know, if we just had a righty-go six innings and we can go lefty in the seventh and then eight, nine, go Will Harris and, and Daniel Hudson, why not, right? You know, I, I think to me in the playoffs, you know, you see managers work backwards, right? Mm-hmm. Who's my best guy I can bring in right now? kind of Andrew Miller being the, the great example of this, right? Who is my best guy out of the pen? Let me use him as soon as possible. The Nats did that with Patrick Corbin, you know, in, in the in the World Series and in the playoffs as well. So I think that's how you should approach it. I think the traditional approach of this guy's my setup, this guy's my closer is a bit outdated. Now, Harris and Hudson have said they don't want to be closers necessarily. Mm. But still, I think it's all about doing whatever you can to help the team win the game. And I don't know if Brad Hens' best spot is as the closer always. Not me questioning him after three blown, you know, three blown, say three losses, whatever. He's still obviously in that position down. I just think maybe your best utility for a bullpen that does not have many lefties is being that guy wherever they need you, putting you in there.
1: Yeah, and... One guy you were talking about before and Steven Strasburg about how you guys want to get him right. And he hasn't pitched a lot this year. He only I'm looking at it. He has 10 innings pitched this year and he only pitched five innings last year. So what's been up with Steven Strasburg the last two years? Because I know that's kind of been the mark on his career is that he's a guy who's been low key kind of injury prone and always been kind of fragile, honestly. So what's been going on with him the last two years? Why hasn't he really been pitching that much?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you go back to the last year season as the injury gets surgery in the offseason. And it's, you know, it's – I mean, it's really difficult for them to do that, um, you know, to, to have that happen. And, you know, nerve issues in his pitching hand were what kept him out um, last season. Obviously, gets surgery on his arm. And then comes back this year and just has some issues in his mechanics, you know, a tough time. And, um, you know, when you spend that much money on a guy and you, you let Rendon walk, who's a huge part of the championship team, you know,
1: mm-hmm. I,
0: I still think it was the right move to make because Strasburg – if you see in the playoffs, man, that guy, you know, he's one of the best playoff pitchers since Madbo. I mean, mm-hmm. really his numbers, I mean, just look at the numbers. I mean, he was, he was that good last in 2019 in the playoffs and at his best, he's great. And also to think about where he came from. He was, he was the top pick for the organization, right? Mm-hmm. This happens across all sports, football, basketball, baseball, you know, if there's, if there's a decision to be keep, to keep one guy or another who usually gets kept, the guy whose draft capital or draft profile was a bit higher. Um, that's usually how just how it works, no matter you know, no matter what the situation is. So they kept Strasburg, and he's been on the team, and uh, you know injuries have kept him out. And look, the contract doesn't look great, but when that guy's on the field pitching, and he's right. I mean, he's excellent, and they got to get him to the point where you know they're going to be cautious because they want to get him to a point where he is right, and they, they don't have to put him back on the IL, and, and he's back to 100. So he's throwing right now, bullpens. He should be back in the next three weeks, probably two or three weeks. So that's where he's at.
1: Yeah. And his contract, he's getting paid 35 million a year until 2026 when he's age 37. And the way injuries have gone for him so far throughout his career, I mean, it, it doesn't look likely that he's gonna be, you know, making 30 starts a season until age 37. So do you think that contract could be maybe become an albatross kind of contract, or do you where you look at that and say, hey, that's actually uh pretty dead money on the books right now?
0: Well, it depends on how he works. Like mm-hmm. there is, you know, there is Guys who get later in the career, Max Scherz is a great example. You figure out, and, and, and steven has got great secondary stuff too. That they know, you know, and, and here's the thing Strasburg is Strasburg's a guy, you know, who's dealt with fastball velocity drop in the past mm-hmm. and is, is, is acclimated to that and got accustomed to it. It's just a matter, you know, he's just got to get out there. Like, I, I can't give you an answer to that because he's not been out there enough. And you have to, the guys who are the best at staying in this game for a long time are the guys who acclimate to what their body tells them, who try not to be the guy they were and always are trying to adapt and change based off what they're throwing that night. Max Scherzer, nobody's better at making in-game adjustments and hanging around with their best stuff, their their worst stuff rather than Max Scherzer. So he's got to kind of take that model as he moves, you know, as he gets older and older uh, with his pitching. I still think he'll be in his prime until he's about 33, 34 if injuries haven't hampered him too much. And then from that point, it's all about how does he pitch after that and acclimate to his new, you know, to his body basically.
1: Yeah. I think that's kind of what we're seeing with mad bum right now, because exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Cause he was a guy last year, fastball around 88 miles an hour. Now somehow he was able to get that fastball velocity up to about 90 and a half this year. Uh, in his last was uh, it was averaging at 92 and a half miles per hour. That was the fastest he's uh, average he's had since 2019. So all of a sudden, mad bum's got some extra velocity in his back pocket but he's also he's done a lot of different things these last few starts just to take some of the mindset off of what he's doing at the play because the d-back just want to ease his load when he's on the mound they're trying to take the scouting reports away from him just not fill his head with those advanced analytics just say go out there and pitch and do what you can do because you're a mad bum dude you're a three-time world series champion so i've loved what i've seen from mad bum recently but you're, you were talking about Max Scherzer, which is a great way, uh, great uh, segue is what I want to say to my next question. Because this dude, Max Scherzer, we already saw it this year. He had a start earlier We dominated the D-backs. And I thought this guy was going to be in the decline. After 2020, I thought I, I, thought I, li- yeah, I, thought I saw little cracks in the decline. But this yep. season, a stellar ERA, strikeouts per nine above his career average, the best whip of his career. I mean, how much longer can this guy keep going? How much left does he have in the tank?
0: He's got, he's got a lot left. To be honest, I, I mean, I thought it was going the same way, and last year especially because you know I think he's pitching through some pain, but they leave him in late in the game, and at pitch, you know, from pitches eighty on, he's leaving balls over the plate against guys who have seen him a couple times, guys you know seem to be keen in on what he's throwing, and this year there's some of that too. Yeah, you know, he's been roughed up a couple times, but once again, nobody comes to comes to compete when their stuff isn't 100% like Max Scherzer. And that's what he brings to the table, is that a guy that, you know, even gets up four runs the first two innings of the game, if you see he settles in, you leave him in the ballgame. And and honestly, 14 Ks at Yankee Stadium uh, last game out, it's the most by an opposing pitcher, I believe, at New Yankee Stadium. Mm. Uh, So he is always, you know, his style hasn't really changed a whole lot, but he's just so dialed in, on every single hitter. He just seems to know what what pitches, what sequence works, how to get ahead of guys all the time, how to fight back when he's behind. You know, walk numbers, I, I think, were up a little bit last year. I'm not sure where they're at this year, but it just seems like when he goes down two of this year, he's operating in a bit of a higher mental clip. And he's, I mean, let me tell you something. I don't know if there's a better contract in all baseball than the seven-year, $210 million contract the Nationals gave Max Scherzer. That thing was—he could get hurt today. He could have not pitched one minute this entire one inning this entire season. That contract is one of the most is one of the best I think in modern baseball. I mean, Mm. find me one that's better. You know, based off of his his production and what he brings on a day in and day out basis, from the intensity, from the leadership, and just you know, from a stuff perspective, this guy's always competing. I mean, he's still got a a little bit left in the tank.
1: Yeah, because most of the time we see those long-term fat contracts by the last three or four years, you're like, that dude is pretty washed, honestly. But Scherzer has kept it going, and it looks like, what, he's entering? Is this the final year of his contract right now? So what do you think the Nationals are going to uh, resign him? And if they do, what, what do you project that contract to look like then?
0: It's a, it's a great question. So obviously he goes to New York and he throws the 14 strikeouts. So what do you think the S Network is talking about? Uh, Well, he could be on the block, you know, he could be in pinstripes. This guy people are looking at, you know, it's, he's owed deferred money by DC. He's a massive part of the championship team. He's a massive part of the modern era of Nats baseball. I think they'd love to have him back. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily focused on that right now. And I I don't think, I don't think Max is, I think Max knows that if the performance is there, The contract will be afterwards. I mean, I think he's 35, 36 now. Um, He can get big money for two or three more years. And I think with the way he's pitching, if the Nationals have any ideas of being competitive, they have to resign him. Um, They absolutely have to resign him. Now, if they want to take a step back and kind of reload, they got a couple guys, uh, a couple really, I mean, stud pitchers, Kate Cavalli and. Jackson Rutledge that are not too far away, maybe 22, 2022, 2023 coming up along the way. Uh, they could hold off till you know, they may say, hey, no, we're good. We're going to just, you know, save our save our bullets until later. I still think this team clearly wants to compete and win. And if they have any ideas on that, they're going to re-sign Max Scherzer because how do you not? And this guy's just a horse and doesn't look like he's going to slow down at any point. Like to let you know, today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting, best for you protein bar in the game today. It's delicious. Whenever they send them to us, guys, I just cannot stop eating them. They're so freaking good. They've got nine flavors right now coconut, coconut, almond, cherry, raspberry mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. Only 17 grams of protein. Uh, It's a positive 17 grams. I mean, not just only protein is good. Only 130 calories. 4 grams of sugar, too, and only 4 grams of net carbs. Guys, Bilt Bars are delicious. They're good for you. Keep telling you. Uh, and if you guys haven't tried them yet, you're really missing out. Go to BiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. So that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. LOCKED15. And you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BiltBar.com.
1: Yeah, maybe you could do like a one-for-one one, like you see in basketball where you do like a guaranteed year the first year and then like a team option that second year just to right. keep keep your options open but Scherzer he's been a stud throughout his career and he is a former D-back and man imagine if the D-backs never traded Max Scherzer how their franchise history would have been changed uh that would have been pretty crazy to see D-backs uh, uh see Scherzer in the D-backs uniform for a long time but he wasn't the guy he is now when he was pitching for the D-backs I'll no. tell you that but considering the totality of his career and the straight dominance he's had I mean how many he's got three Cy Young Awards, He's one of the best pitchers of his generation, of course. But he gets compared a lot of times to Clayton Kershaw. And rightfully so, those are probably the two best pitchers of, what, the last 10 to 15 years, uh, probably of this current era, current generation. So if you had to pick, you know, non-biased, don't put your Nationals input into this. Who do you think is the better pitcher or who would you rather start your franchise with? Clayton Kershaw.
0: Well, no, it's I mean, look, here's the thing is here's the thing. Full disclosure, people listen to the podcast know that, you know, I'm not a I'm not a, a nationals homer uh-huh. in the in in the way that you know some other people might be they you know host the host of podcast. Look, Max is excellent. He is he is one of the I mean he's such a great talent. And sure, if you want to put him up stride for stride with the way they've they've you know their, their two careers, you can definitely do it. To me, Clayton Kershaw, day in and day out, starting, in start out year in and year out. I mean, you seen him as a as a as a Diamondbacks fan. He's got the same thing too, his adaptability, right? Mm-hmm. As a fastball loss velocity, you know, loses velocity, he's leaned on that secondary stuff so much. And the way that he's able to use, especially his curveball is, you know, obviously just been nasty forever. But he is to me the um, he is the example. Of what pitching success looks like, it, you know, of of what you know that, that that's what the Degroms, that is what the Scherzers, that that is what everybody else, Garrett Coles, are chasing, is a career like Clayton Kershaw's. In my opinion, uh, he's the best pitcher I ever watched pitch. Uh, just you know, just the way he, I mean, every single season. So love Max. Not saying it's not close, but with the way Clayton Kershaw has distinguished himself through the long term. I, I think it's just, he's just a, a little bit above max
1: uh, hmm. for
0: what he's brought in his career.
1: So the postseason pitching uh, doesn't weigh in?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the thing is, here's the thing is, like, you know, am hmm. I going to knock am I gonna knock Kershaw for Dave Roberts putting him in against Juan Soto and, and, uh, and, and, you know, Anthony Rendon and what was the eighth inning, seventh inning of a game? Mm-hmm. No, that's not really on him. It's a bad decision by the manager. And I know it's been bad playoff pitching, but here's here's to me the thing about pitching is that it's it's not a natural motion number one think about that overhand throwing is not a natural motion his durability throughout his career number of innings that he's logged and the caliber that he's pitched at is what makes him in my opinion a great pitcher. also you know kershaw i mean i've written numbers were last year but pretty decent in the postseason last year when they won the championship so he's a champion now and, and to me 60 games 162 games i'm not you know we played the season last year out still a championship in my mind still they both still champions uh really both guys really accomplished but to me i'm still rolling with Kershaw but it's it's not like it's a, you know an argument super far away yeah what about I, you what about you
1: yeah i would probably go max just because is a right. world series performance last year it feels a little fool gazy to me just because you know not that many fans he didn't have that fully pressurized playoff environment like he usually does i feel like that played a pretty heavy factor the first time kershaw performs on the big level there's like 10 fans in the stands i feel like there's a little bit of correlation there between his performance and the environment he's in so that's just my little own conspiracy theory on it but hey i like i think that
0: might be some anti-division bias i think Uh, that's what that's what that might
1: be hey hey that's what that is it might be but kershaw's a stud no doubt about it he's still one of the best pitchers in our generation but would i want him on the big stage Uh, probably not there's a few pitches no i take max over him yeah on the
0: big stage is max over him, but like over the course you know in their primes course with 30 start season i'm gonna take sure i'm gonna take, uh, um kershaw
1: okay i think scherzer has had some playoff struggles too there's been some moments where you're like dang yeah scherzer's out here getting yeah. uh, crushed on the mound but Let's let's get off the pitchers for a second. Let's talk about I want to talk more about the lineup because you guys uh you got some can real stuff. Can we studs. not? Can we not can we not <laughs> talk about to talk? the lineup? Not God, no. We won't talk about the whole lineup. I just want to talk about two individual players. I want to start with Trey.
0: Can I guess? Can I guess you can talk about Trey Turner and Okay. Is that what we're
1: gonna do? Again? Yeah, that's right. There the, go. the two studs in the lineup. We gotta yeah. talk about them. I want to first start with Trey Turner because this guy's been a stud. Uh, he, he's a baller for you guys, and just looking at his contract right now, it doesn't look like he's gotten a fat extension uh, yet. So I just want to know when that extension's coming, or is he going to get the Anthony Rendon treatment?
0: No, he's—they're he's, going to extend him. Um, that is—it's—it's 110 it's percent what they're going to do. And here's the thing: is is that as long as you've got Trey and one in the lineup, you're really—I mean—you've you, got a chance to be competitive, right? If you build correctly, you can be competitive because. Trey, in my opinion, with the speed that he brings, I mean, they're considering moving him back in the lineup right now because he's just been such a good hitter this season. Um, The guy is so consistent. He's fast. I mean, nobody turns crappy, dinks off the end of the bat where the bat's broken into singles like Trey Turner. Really solid shortstop as well. Defensive numbers can always improve. But for him, as the athlete he is, as the potential leadoff guy, he is in a great lineup as, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, he is, you know, who would you put up against him in terms of a all around? I mean, also, he's actually brought some pop this year, too. Who would you put up against him as, as, as a guy to set the table for? I mean, is there anybody else in baseball you'd rather have at the front of your lineup than, than Trey Turner?
1: Well, I'm not the front of the lineup. I did have a question for you that kind of leads into it. I have five shortstops here, and I wanted you to rank them real quick for me. I got Bogarts, Xander Bogarts from the Red Sox, Francisco Lindor from the Mets, Trevor Story from the Rockies, your guy, Trey Turner, and then Fernando Tatis. Rank those five for me right now.
0: So what am I ranking them based on?
1: Just how you, if you were doing a fantasy draft, not even like a fantasy draft, but you were the GM of a team, they're all in a pool of players, how are you building your team with those guys? Who are you taking in that draft first?
0: So I think the argument for Trey is the fact that he's on base all the freaking time. (laughs) Like if, if, you know, if if I have confidence in my team to build around him, I mean, look, they might move him back in the lineup, whatever. That guy's always on base. We hit for power, like story, or or even, even Bogarts, right. You know, I mean, Lindor, not as, not as much, but I I think that those guys, some of those guys, so like Lindor has a defensive advantage. I, I think Bogarts probably has a defensive advantage as well. But in terms of the all-around, right? Solid play at there. And then I mean the guy hits over 300, like money, it's like, it's money. Like every single year he's gonna do it. You know, <laughs> I actually here's the weird thing. I don't even think Trey has played his best ball yet this year, mm. which is weird because he's had stretches where he's gone over four in games and three for four games. Like I think that evens out. And you know, I, I think that he hasn't played his best ball yet. And I believe that in the right circumstances, that like, yeah, he is a, I mean, he's he's a, he's an MVP caliber player. He is, you know, on a team like this. No, he can't be because everybody else around him is bad, but you put him on, you ask yourself this, put him on the Mets, put him on uh, you know, the, the Red Sox, put him on a team like the Dodgers or the Padres. Where does he figure in with guys who are getting on base around him? He's an MVP caliber player. You know, not, not when there's awful Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell and, Josh Harrison's your two hole hitter the entire time. and mm. Andrew Stevenson's hitting in front of you and Victor Robles says the guy is. So, I mean, to rank them, like, I think there is an argument for Trey to be up there just as much. It depends on what you're looking for as an evaluator,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: W- what do you want from your shortstop?
1: Oh, are you asking me what I want from my shortstop? Well, I'm just, I'm just, saying, like, if, so, so, <laughs> yeah. you, know, that's
0: the, you know, what, what is it that you want? If you were to pick a shortstop, who would you pick?
1: Oh, well, looking at this list, I would probably lean Tatis because of right. that offensive package, but defensively he's kind of sucked. I think, I think Story might be the best shortstop, honestly, because he's got the 40 home run power and he's low-key, like I think his speed is low-key underrated. He led the National League in steals in 2020. He's but here's the-, the
0: thing, he's not Trey Turner fast.
1: No, he's not a Trey Turner fan.
0: And swiping bags isn't what it used to be. Like, swiping bags, you know, because because teams aren't hitting with runners in scoring position. So what does stealing a base mean at this point in time if teams can't drive you in, right? So yeah, that, that's just kind of, you know, like, for me, Trey is, like, getting on base. That's the big thing. And then, I mean, if you're hitting a ball in the gap, first to third, nobody's nobody's faster. Even first to home in some situations, nobody's faster. I'm not saying he's not the complete package in offense, that story is, that even Bogarts will endure. But, but he is – he brings something else those guys don't in terms of the actual the speed. The speed is is the big factor for me.
1: And honestly, I don't think there's a wrong way to rank no, five no. guys. I, like all five of those are studs, and just trying to do the exercise, I was like, it's honestly impossible. Or it's like trying to rank the top five players in the NBA or something like that. Like it's honestly impossible. It, it's better. I, right. I, I find it better to do tiers honestly than just to do yes. straight up rankings one through five because. And all do, those guys
0: are different too. Like all those yeah. guys do something a little bit different, which is like the kind of the cool part about it.
1: Yeah, and. So moving off the shortstops, I mean, yeah, Trey Turner is a beast. We don't have to, you know, bludgeon that point anymore. But Juan Soto, he's another stud. The dude is like 23, 22, 23 years old. And what are your thoughts right now on just his overall season? Because Juan Soto has been good this year. I mean, he's still OBP King, nearly 400, average yeah. around 270. Doesn't seem like he's really taken off yet so far this year. Uh, well, you- he, got,
0: he got hurt. So like he was, you know, And for those, I, I mean, I don't watch, you know, Watching West Coast baseball, it's, it's tough to watch East Coast baseball. So yeah. just full disclosure, he was out for 10-day IL, was playing well before that, came back, and really just didn't – has not always – has not been himself in some senses. So like he's really – he's still getting on base a bunch. Yeah. But it, it's – he can't take advantage of your misses yet. Uh, he's just not seeing it that – you know, if you're pitching, you're missing. He's not all the way back yet, but still. Like his 70% is still like among the league best. He is unique in the fact that he gets better all the time. He wants to get better. You hear about he wants to steal a certain amount of bases, which I don't endorse, but he wants to steal more bases. He wants to win a Golden Glove. He's working on his English. Everything, you know, mm-hmm. like, even, even, that matters. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Fernando Tatis is a. I mean, think about this now, who's the most marketable player in the league? Fernando Tatis. He is in those commercials. I forgot the drink, the sports drink that Damian Lillard has. He's in those commercials because he is a guy that, you know, knows English very well, can market products to both Latino and the American communities. That matters. Juan sees that and is working on that to become a better media, you know, personality and, and also a marketable star. I like that. I like that about a player, even if it's not a baseball tangible thing. The guy has goals, he sets them and uh does not seem like somebody who's missed a goal that he set yet. So, performance you can say what you want, team's not been very good, but He is somebody that sets those goals and uh, he'll be damned if he doesn't reach them.
1: Hey, we're all about the intangibles on this pod. I feel like we get too much into the numbers and not enough with the intangibles nowadays in baseball, but looking at Juan Soto's contract situation as well, it looks like he's got arbitration at least for the next couple of years. So I want to know what's going to happen first. He gets a fat contract or does he win an MVP?
0: Probably MVP Scott Boris clients. Those guys Mm. tend to wait to get their contract extensions. So yeah. there's a short answer, probably MVP first for uh, extension, because I mean, and he's talked about it, too, whether or not he wants to be the first $500 million player, what it means the Nationals, situation. you know, because that, that, that's where he's at. You know what I mean? That, I mean that, That's when his contract comes up, uh, comes up, you know, in a few years time, we'll be asking should one he get $500 million. So uh, that stuff's in the air. But I would say MVP first because he's a Scott Boris client.
1: Yeah, if you just responded with two words, Scott Boris, I would. Scott have, Boris, yes. yeah, that, that's all I needed. But yeah, I mean, looking at the contracts now, it doesn't look like we've even had a four hundred million dollar player. So Juan Soto jumping that to get a five hundred, that would be pretty. I mean, why wouldn't
0: you? He's twenty two yeah. years old. It, I mean, look, if you went around the league right now, and you and you said, could you, you know, would you offer this guy five hundred million dollars to the time he's, you know, I guess what thirty six, thirty seven years old?
1: Yeah, like fifteen years, or something. saying.
0: Yeah, fifteen-year contract, thirty-seven okay. years old, five hundred million dollars. I mean, he's worth the money, man. He's he's. I'll tell you this: like I, I've run out of ways to describe him because of how damn good he is. In I just go back and watch the World Series. The kid's twenty years old in the World Series, and I mean, some of the best pitchers in the game are like, "How do I pitch this guy? What is the right way to pitch this guy?" Um, Took Kershaw deep, the guy who just endorsed very much, you know, and pivotal at that. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in on one Soto. He's, he's one of the best hitters in the game, if not the best, and he's going to be the highest paid player in the game if he wants to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it would be a smart move. That's basically what the Padres did with Fernando Tatis. I mean, he hasn't had a full season under his belt yet. And they're like, here, 14 years, 330 million. Yeah,
0: it was smart. The security angle, yes.
1: Yeah, and I thought, yeah, I I was fine with it from the security angle and things like that. But one guy who did not get that security from the Nationals, I want to talk about him. That is Bryce Harper, the, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who was the number one overall pick, basically, viewed as, I guess, kind of like the LeBron of baseball in terms of the come-up and the expectations. I want to know, do you think Bryce Harper lived up to those expectations we had from entering baseball?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he did. I think he is, um, you know, baseball is one of the sports for how many misses him yet,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? I mean, Dansby Swanson was, I think, he was number one overall pick, right? Yeah. And he's a really good player, really solid player. But Bryce, for the expectations that he had and where he's at now in his age, I mean, Bryce Harper is not, is you know, He's got a little while until he's 30, right? He's not there uh, quite yet. So I think for people to say that, you know, Bryce has missed expectations, whatever. No, like the guy's the guy 28 years old and he's tremendous hitter this year. I mean, tremendous hitter this year. Uh, mechanics, I didn't love early on. And, you know, but I think he's worked on those. He's become a more patient hitter and really just has become a more team oriented, right? What does the team need me to do here? Uh, you know, it's not always about just hacking, trying to get hit, right? Sometimes taking a walk from my squad is, is the best thing I can do. And, he, and I think the way he sees pitches now it reminds me of the way he saw him in his MVP season. I mean, he is on track to put up an MVP caliber year. So, look, I am all in on uh, Bryce Harper as a as a Hall of Famer, potentially, at the end of the day. And I think he can get there. So, you know, I, I, I still love watching him play. I, I really do. They might boom every time because of the plate, but – like he's, you know, might not be the best locker room guy in the world. He's a, he's a special talent, a special talent for sure.
1: Yeah. And I agree. I think he's lived up to expectations. It's hard for someone to do the LeBron James method and right. actually shatter the mold with what you were expected, even right. though you had all the lofty expectations in the world. So what he's done MVP still been one of the premier players in baseball. I think he's definitely lived up to the number one overall billing that he's had coming out of high school. But why do you think, well, you probably know why, but, why did the Nationals let him go? Why, you know, a homegrown guy? Why, why didn't they just keep him around?
0: Well, <laughs> there were some decisions that had to be made uh, at that point in time. And I think it was time to let Bryce go. I think that, that you know, and look what happened afterwards. They won a title. And he even said as much. He said it probably would. I think stuff in the clubhouse with him is not always the easiest. Um, and I don't think, I don't think, he was supposed to be the clubhouse leader at that point. I don't think he could be the way that he was in Philadelphia. And I think there was a lot of clashing of heads. And so I think it was the best for him to move on and for the Mets to move on or the Nationals to move on uh, as
1: well. All right. We're wrapping up the pod here with Josh Neighbors of Locked On Nats and Locked On Big 12. I just want to get one final question in Josh. D backs play a three game series starting off tomorrow. We got Max Scherzer on the mound. What are your predictions for this series? Who wins it?
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's baseball, right? I mean, who the hell yeah. knows what's going to happen? Um, I would say with this series, look, the Nationals are in a corner and the series really badly to, to kind of bounce back, and they're also coming off some positivity. So I think there's a sour taste in their mouths. They split two of the D-backs before. They should not have. Um, no, Once again, no offense, but this team has a bit more on the line at this point in time. That he backs to. I feel so. Con- I, I'm. I sound so condescending. I don't mean. I really don't mean to. But here's the thing: is like this team wants to compete. They want to win. They've got Juan Soto and Trey Turner and Strasburg and Scherzer and Corbin, and they brought in Schwarber and they brought in Bell and they made all these moves and Brad Hand and Will Harris and Daniel Hudson. Like this team wants to win now, so they can't fall into a 19 and 31 hole the same way they did in 2019. Mm-hmm. It's now or never. They, they got to start making their move. To keep themselves in striking distance for when they ultimately can potentially round into their best form, so well, I think the Nats take two or three.
1: Okay. Well, lucky for you, D-backs put Zach Allen on the injured list yesterday. They put Christian Walker, their first baseman, on the injured list yesterday. Ketel Marte still on the injured list, but he might be back for this series. So Ketel Marte is back. That's a huge boost uh, for this team. And uh, look, I don't. I'm not going to say the D-backs are going to win this because uh, their pitching situation is in major flux. Taylor Widner still on the injured list as well. He's been one of the best D-backs pitchers as well. So D-backs are down two of their top three starters. Uh, I got to see. Maybe we'll get a and Bumgarner start here. Maybe on that Sunday we could get a, a Mad Bum start because that dude, is just absolutely locked in right now. But I, I think this could be a pretty close series. I don't know against Max Scherzer. That's going to be pretty tough for the D-backs. They're definitely going to need their offense to come alive for that. But they're, the, they're a top three team in the National League with a run scored, and I don't think I would have predicted that entering the season. So take that for your point against not trying to win. We're out here. putting runs on the board, baby. There you go. All right, that's Josh Neighbors of Locked On Nats and Locked On Big 12. Where can the Locked On listeners find you, Josh?
0: Uh, At Josh Neighbors underscore on Twitter, at LO underscore Nationals, and then at LO Big 12.
1: Perfect. Thank you, Josh, for hopping on. I'll catch you later, buddy.
0: It was a pleasure, my friend. All right, that will do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Nationals. You can follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore once again, find me on Locker Room at Josh Neighbors or J Neighbors ninety seven. I think is the username. Make sure you guys give the show a, give the show a thumbs up, five stars wherever you guys get the podcast. Those ratings really help us get the podcast out to other people. Leave a review if you'd like to as well. And if you guys have any suggestions, once again, you guys can DM me, follow me on Twitter, whatever. I usually follow back, and I want to hear what you guys have to say about the show and any suggestions that you might have. And as always, my friends, until next time, stay safe.